Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Friday, September 9th, we are studying Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 18, through chapter 22, verse 12. Moses speaks to Israel concerning rebellious sons, someone who is hanged from a tree, and a variety of other cases that Israel will need to handle according to God's word when they go into the promised land. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us the Reverend Dr. Christian Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Mount Hope Lutheran Church and School in Casper, Wyoming. He is also the chairman for the Board of Regents for Luther Classical College. Pastor Preuss, welcome to Sharper Iron. Thank you so much, uh, and thanks for having me on. Pastor Preuss, as the chairman of the Board of Regents for Luther Classical College, one of the underwriters for Sharper Iron, we'd love to have you share a little bit how things are going with the, the college. They're going very well. It's very busy, very busy. You know, I was just reminded today that uh, because school is starting up everywhere and here in Casper, Casper College started up and reminded we're only three years away. And that sounds like a long time, but there's a lot to do in the meantime. uh, We've got our curriculum committee in gear and um, uh, set to release our course catalog in, in about a year. And a lot of work goes into that. Of course, the curriculum is the main thing about a college. Got lots of uh, professors uh, eager to come teach. We've got lots of students who can actually, uh, right now on our website, lutherclassical.org, fill out a pre-admission form. So if you're in high school and thinking about coming to Luther Classical College in fall of 2025 or fall of 2026, you can uh, fill out that pre-admission form. So we've got your name and we can uh, contact you with any with any um, updates on the college, and there are lots. So, and anyone who's interested, uh, please go to our website, lutherclassical.org, and you'll also be able to subscribe for free to one of uh, to our magazine, uh, which comes out quarterly. It's called Christian Culture. And uh, yeah, everything's going uh, really well um, as far as uh, support from around the Synod. We've got uh, almost 50 churches uh, who have adopted us as a, a mission of their congregation and uh, looking to increase that. And we're just so thankful for all the individual and uh, congregational support. What One more question, Pastor Price, about the college. And I, I want to study the text with you, but maybe the question, why Luther Classical College? Why start this college? Yeah, so Luther Classical College is a college for Lutherans and by Lutherans. And the whole idea uh is to have a conservative college uh, where Lutherans can come and, and be themselves, that is, be Lutheran, be unapologetically Lutheran. Um, there isn't a college right now where you can go and all of your fellow students are going to be Lutheran or all of your professors will be Lutheran. So Luther Classical College will be uh, unique in that sense, that everyone there is a conservative Lutheran. Um, and uh, bad company corrupts good morals and 
good company creates good morals, mm. right? And yeah. so uh, the more we can surround ourselves with our uh, fellow Christians and learn in a purposefully Lutheran, conservative way, uh, the better. Uh, Luther Classical College also is going to be uh, inexpensive enough. Um, that's a big push that mm. uh, we're going to set our our tuition at 8500 which is about uh, what a student can make in a summertime um, so that we don't send our students into crippling debt um, and that encourages also um, the importance of family that we don't want people just looking for a career and making enough money to pay off their debts and then making enough money to retire and that's the sum of their life mm-hmm. and very often that that uh, is what a college kind of turns into get this career make enough money to pay off your debts and then make enough money to get uh, enough for retirement Instead, we want people to be concentrating on uh, leading the Christian life, obviously getting a, a, a job, especially for the, the, the fellows to take care of their family. But we're going to be very family oriented and um, also go back to the basics, the way Luther, Martin Luther and Philip Melanchthon and all the Lutheran greats were educated was classical education, where we take seriously our history. We take seriously the great literature and music and philosophy that comes out of the Western tradition and undergirding that all is a strong focus on the Bible as God's inerrant word. And then also the, uh, well, getting rid of and not allowing to come in any of the woke nonsense that has uh, invaded so many of our colleges and universities today. Mm -hmm. So very much needed for this college to come into existence. And that's why the support is so huge and uh, keeps on growing. And it's so wonderful to see so many Lutheran brothers and sisters in Christ coming on and supporting and um, being thankful really that uh, this, um, a a real, a real dream and need for, uh, 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 all sorts of Lutherans um, is really coming into uh, reality. Well, God be praised for the work that is being done to establish Luther Classical College. It is a joy to share in partnership, even in this small way. Thank you for underwriting this program and for your support of KFUO that we both might do more to proclaim the Word of God and share that Word of God in this world that so desperately needs it with so many lies out there, the truth is needed all the more. We have an opportunity to look at the Word of God together today. Pastor Preuss, we're looking at Deuteronomy 21 and 22. Any context that you'd like to share before we jump into this text? Yeah, so right away when we jump into the text, you'll notice that uh, we're talking about the rebellious son, and uh, God is making laws that have to do with the household. Mm. And so as we go through this uh the, the reader, the listener um, should kind of be putting these things into categories that God actually cares about the household, and then he's going to move also to the political world. And um, the fact that God is making these rules um, for both the household and the government should make us realize that there is actually an interaction between house and government, and that uh, since God is concerned about both, and not only his church, obviously his church above all else, that's the reason everything else exists, but um, he is concerned about all of these estates, family, state, and church, and so we as Christians should be too. Let's jump into the text. We are in Deuteronomy 21, beginning at verse 18. This is Moses speaking. 
If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. You shall not see your brother's ox or his sheep going astray and ignore them. You shall take them back to your brother. And if he does not live near you and you do not know who he is, you shall bring it home to your house and it shall stay with you until your brother seeks it. Then you shall restore it to him. And you shall do the same with his donkey or with his garment or with any lost thing of your brother's, which he loses and you find. You may not ignore it. You shall not see your brother's donkey or his ox fallen down by the way and ignore them. You shall help him to lift them up again. A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. If you come across a bird's nest in any tree or on the ground with young ones or eggs and the mother sitting on the young or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall let the mother go. But the young you may take for yourself, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long. When you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof, that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house, if anyone should fall from it. You shall not sow your vineyard with two kinds of seed, lest the whole yield be forfeited, the crop that you have sown and the yield of the vineyard. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. You shall not wear cloth of wool and linen mixed together. You shall make yourself tassels on the four corners of the garment with which you cover yourself. That's our text for today. That's Deuteronomy 21, verse 18 through chapter 22, verse 12. All right, Pastor Proy. So a man has a stubborn and rebellious son, and the way it ends is death. This seems really harsh. So... I mean, I think this is one of those places where modern... We, we talked about modern sensibilities not liking a lot of the things that the book of Deuteronomy says. And and some of them, you know, like slavery and polygamy that we've talked about recently. But here, you've got a stubborn son and he needs to die? What What's going on here? Yeah, it, it, it seems very harsh. And the question is how many times this law was actually carried out. Hmm. Uh, we don't have... We don't exactly have uh, examples of that uh, in the rest of Scripture. However, uh, the law itself is a good one. It has to be. It comes from God, uh, and so that's our. That's that has to be our first right. approach. This this must be good. God gave it, um, and I think the first thing that we have to realize is that it shows how much He cares about family. It shows how much He cares about uh, how important the family is to society, and we've lost that in our modern world. Because again, we're, we're we're focused on careerism, and we live most of our lives uh, outside the home, or if we're in the home, we're just kind of watching uh, TV and uh, disengaged from uh, the the family. And for for uh, God, His main task in in giving these in giving these laws is to preserve His church, 
but without the family, the church isn't preserved. And so he wants children to learn to be good Christians, good citizens, good neighbors, to grow up to be good fathers and good mothers. And that can't happen if there's open rebellion. When we talk about the rebellious son, you know, we're not just talking about uh, a kid who uh, gets into an argument with his dad once in a while right. or doesn't want to eat his vegetables. <laughs> right? we're, talking, we're talking about open rebellion. We're talking about insolence and we're talking about an immoral lifestyle who refuses to be corrected. And that sort of behavior will leak through then to the rest of the family also. Mm. And uh, then it'll seek approval also from mom and dad and say, okay, fine. Um, I know Jimmy's been bad, but um, we're just going to let him keep doing uh, these bad things. And then it leaks to all society. So what God is doing here is trying to nip it in the bud. Uh, well, God doesn't try. He, he is giving the law yeah. so that he nips it in the bud. And uh, so uh, that to, to put the fear of God into people, that it's extremely important to raise your children uh, in the fear of the Lord. Hmm. Now, um, a disobedient and immoral child, someone who leaves the Christian faith, uh, especially, is sadly a very common thing uh, in Christian homes. I mean, today, I mean, and it always mm-hmm. has been. And there's two ways this happens. One is that a child grows wicked; he becomes a, a bad person, disrespectful, mean, um, idolatrous, immoral, uh, because he learns it from his parents and those around him. Um, that happens, uh, sadly, way too often. You know, mom and dad drink way too much, they cuss, so forth and so on, and the kid grows up in that fashion and becomes like his mom and his dad. Mm-hmm. And this is what Proverbs 22.6 warns us about and encourages us, raise up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. But this category really isn't what Moses is talking about here. He's rather talking about the very sad situation when Christian parents do what they uh, should do. They raise uh, a child in the way he should go. They teach him the Word of God. They bring him to church. They live, you know, an outwardly godly life and so forth. But then uh, the kid, uh, the child grows up and is still uh, disrespectful and moral and so forth. And you see this happen throughout Scripture. There's tons of examples of it. This is why it's so important for us to actually know the narratives, know the stories of the Bible. If you look at Adam, Adam has two sons in the beginning, right? Yeah. It's Cain and it's Abel, and Abel is raised well. Um, and Cain, well, he's raised well. He's raised in a Christian home. There's no doubt about that yeah. because Abel learned it, but Cain, uh, but Cain uh, rejected it. And you can see the same thing with Noah. He's got Shem and Japheth who honor him, but then he's got Ham who mocks his nakedness. Um, you can look at Isaac, his two sons, Jacob and Esau. Esau marries two heathen gals, and then he sees that <laughs> he sees that his mom and dad don't like it. So then he marries another heathen gal, the mm. the uh, daughter of Ishmael. And uh, you, you can see it with Eli, Samuel, David, all sorts of fathers and mothers in Scripture who did teach their kids, um, and yet uh, their their children or one of their uh, children. Uh, turned out to be um, <clears throat> rebellious. Yeah. There's a there's an old proverb that goes, "The sons of great men are not always great," or even mm. the son, the sons of great men uh, are 
are often criminals. Mm. <laughs> um, and that, that is sadly, sadly true. Mm. Um, and I think also what we have to keep in mind is that Christians raising children, uh, they have uh, not only to deal with what everyone has to deal with, and that is just the general corruption of our flesh and the general corruption of the world, um, and so the temptations to sin that way and to rebel, but they also have to deal with the fact that they put a bullseye, a target on their child when they baptized him and taught the Word of God to him, because now Satan wants that kid. And Satan especially attacks the children of Christians. Hmm. And with this with this law, God is really telling Christian parents, you got to watch out. I think that's the biggest yeah. warning here, and that's really applicable uh, to us. Obviously, we don't have any such law in uh, in our societies today, mm-hmm. nor uh, I, I think I don't think many people would want it, right? Even Christians. Right. Um, however, we should take the warning to heart um, and let it spur us on to action in our homes. This is how much God takes seriously a godly home, so we should take it too. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, parents should work to make sure uh, that their uh, kids are uh, raised in, in the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. And the raising of uh, Christian children is a job of both dad and mom. And it involves going to church every Sunday. It involves sending them to a Lutheran school, if possible, teaching them at home also. Uh, and then also it involves the good example of the parents. You know, mm-hmm. parents who don't drink too much or who don't cuss at home, the wife who treats her husband with respect and the husband who treats his wife with love and, and the kids see that and they pray together every day and they read the Bible every day and they sing hymns every day and they actually act like they like it. You know, it's not just some task, but they love doing it and they love going to church and they, they talk about the sermon and they go to Bible class when they can, so forth and so on. And that does get passed down to the kids. And when we're serious about that, uh, then uh, this, we're, this, this warning of God here in Deuteronomy um, has its has its fruit because mm, um, yeah. God doesn't God doesn't warn us just to, to scare us. <laughs> right, <laughs> He warns us to uh, to give us actually uh, happiness uh, both on earth as Christians and then obviously eternal happiness. Well, certainly, and and just I mean, you know, thinking about from that positive side, when the the father and mother raise the children in the Christian faith in that joy that is is real, not something, they're not just acting like they like singing for the sake of, of putting on a good show, but they actually do joyfully sing the hymns with their children. I mean, that is a, a picture of great joy, the way that God designed the family to work and and how joyful it is when that, that happens. Mm-hmm. At the same time, and I, I think this is evident in the text, when that doesn't happen, there is great heartbreak. And I, oh, I think, yeah. you know, I mean, put yourself in the when you try to put yourself in the position of the parents who have this child whom they've disciplined, the text is very explicit about that, as you pointed out, they have to go before the elders and say, this is who our son is. He won't obey the voice of of our voice. He won't obey God's voice. He's a glutton. He's a drunkard. To have to do that has to be heartbreaking for the parents. And yet their love for God and his word above all else they they do that, which is a, boy. That's a tough position for parents to be in, but that's where God puts them. 
Yeah, well, it's a it's a wonderful example of obeying the first commandment, right? Whom do you love more than anything uh, in the world? Uh, you know, love God above all things. That's the fulfillment of the first table of the law. And it's uh, also kind of a playing out. I mean, Isaac wasn't a bad kid, but uh, this is the test of Abraham. You know, do you love me more than your, your one and only son? Um, and I, I think, too, God has in mind, like, Obviously, we as pastors have dealt with this and are, uh, you know, with, with families who have lost uh, children to the world, uh, not to death, but to the world. And very often that pain is uh, just as bad, if not worse, if they lost them to the world than if they had lost their son to death um, or their child to death. And the other the point there to make is that um, uh, one bad uh, son, right, can also affect everyone else in the family. Because again, bad uh, uh, bad uh, company corrupts good morals. And especially if it's tolerated, then it spreads to the younger brothers and it spreads to the sisters. And then all of a sudden you've lost all of them. And God has that in mind too. And the other thing that he has in mind is that uh, pastors, or not pastors, uh, uh, mothers and fathers will often be tempted to start justifying the sins of uh, of their kids. And then that can lead them away from the faith. Yeah. So Jimmy doesn't go to church anymore, so it must not be that important to go to church because I love my son, mm-hmm. right? And so they end up idolizing their own kids. And uh, I'm sure you've seen that before too, and uh, I've seen it. I think every pastor has. And so God really is here. I know it, it sounds extremely harsh, but he is being loving um, caring uh, for everyone uh, in the family, and then uh, with this threat, uh, especially that this is the curb of the law, also then for uh, children who would think about being rebellious, yeah. that uh, this can be held over them and say, hey, knock it off, now you're going down a very bad path. That's right. And I, I think the way that St. That Paul applies maybe not this particular text but texts similarly there are ones that are similar to this particularly the matter of purging evil from your midst and and he talks about excommunication in that regard you know that part of the purpose of excommunication is as you said so that the you know the yeast doesn't cause the whole lump to be leavened but also for the sake of of that individual you you hand that person over to satan now so that he can recognize the seriousness of his sin i mean uh, in this case as you said it's it's got to happen ahead of time so that the death penalty is not applied but for us in the church when it comes to the the matter of you know jimmy's not going to church anymore what how do mom and dad approach this well they don't try to justify their son they they instead let let the Lord's word do its work so that the Lord's word can finally justify their son that he might be brought to repentance and true faith rather than just making excuses for Jimmy. Exactly. And it's, it's the temptation of parents to say, no, no, no. As long as they still belong to the church and then we have some sort of connection with them. But what they need to realize is that what God's, what God's word says works. You know, it, it yeah. works. And so excommunication is there because we love people. Um, not only that the leaven will leaven the whole lump and corrupt everything, but also that you hand this person over to Satan so that you, can, uh, so that you may save his soul. Right? And that's what St. Paul says. And the beautiful thing and the, for the excommunicated um, adulterer 
in uh, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is that he's excommunicated. It is very good for the church because they realize that this is a horrible sin. And then he's welcomed back. Mm-hmm. And Paul gets to urge them to shower their love on him and say, it's forgiven, it's in the past, it's gone, Christ's blood has uh, washed this away. And I've seen that too, just as the pastor. Um, we uh, have taken excommunication seriously here. And two or three times just in the last couple of years, I've seen people, because we removed them, come back and say, no, I want to be part of the church. Mm-hmm. It does work. Uh, and that's why God gives it to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and th- there's great joy. I mean, the, the joy that Jesus describes in, in Luke 15 over the one sinner who repents uh, that's welcomed back. What a, what a joy there is when the, the family is restored, to, to keep it in the, the Deuteronomy mm-hmm. language. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Pastor Preuss, we've got just about two minutes here. Let's let's move into the next section, or two minutes before the break, excuse me. Let's move into the next section, the, the man who's hanged from the tree and the curse. Just give us an introduction and we'll pick up more on the other side of the break. Yeah, so this is obviously quoted in Galatians uh, chapter 3 uh, that uh, and, and applied to, to Jesus. That's the most important thing here is that uh, Jesus became a curse for us by being hung on the tree. Uh, but this penalty really tells you a lot about what God thinks about death and sin, and then also what his people should think about death and sin. Mm-hmm. And that is that it it spreads a defilement on all the land, and also that the this body of sin and death that is hung on the tree is not meant to see the light. Like if you leave it, mm-hmm. if you leave it till the next day, it's a curse on all the land because that's what that's where death and sin belong. They belong totally buried uh, that's what sin deserves. And so this is a great just preaching of how serious God takes sin, his wrath against sin. But then also it is so beautifully a forecast, a foreshadowing of what Jesus himself will do in taking that sin upon himself. Right, we'll pick up more of those themes on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking about Deuteronomy 21 and 22 with Pastor Christian Preuss. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. A college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College. A college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org. Subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Friday, September 9th. We're studying Deuteronomy 21, verse 18 through chapter 22, verse 12 with the Reverend Dr. Christian Preuss. 
He serves at Mount Hope Lutheran Church and School in Casper, Wyoming. Pastor Price, prior to the break, we started talking about the man hanged on a tree who is cursed, and, and two things going on here. The the great punishment for, for sin, the curse, the, the negativity is not the right word, The just the great curse of death, but also the connection to Christ being hanged on a tree. You introduced the topic. Uh, dig more into that for us. Yeah, so first I'll just give a little context in the wider uh, world, ancient world at this time. Um, and that is that usually people treated death uh, very seriously. Um, touching a dead body would actually, um, you know, bring a, uh, a desecration. Um, and you'd have to, you know, just as in you see in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you'd actually go, have to go through rites of washing and so forth. Um, so that that happened in Greece and so forth. But there's, there's an outlier um in rome uh one of the kings numa pompilius great name if you're thinking of uh, naming your son um <laughs> i'll keep that one know, in mind it'd be, yeah it'd be a horrible name i'm thinking jehu uh for my next kid but um the avenger of blood but yeah uh he's, you know, he's the great lawgiver of rome uh second great king of rome after romulus and he actually made laws uh that so that people wouldn't think death was so horrible. And he took away the stigma of touching dead bodies and said, no, that's not going to bring any uncleanness. And this is uh, supposed to be like very enlightened. He's supposed to be like a friend of the philosophers. Uh, but you notice that we have that same attitude today as we try to beautify death uh, or just cover up its horribleness with celebrations of life and so forth. And what we have to realize as biblical Christians, as Lutherans, uh, is that uh, the Bible simply does not ignore the horror of sin and its consequence, which is death. Death is a horrible thing. It's the wages of sin. And so the dead body of that executed man pollutes the whole land and the whole sky. And it has to be buried before the sun sets. So you can uh, compare uh, Jesus, I and mean, you see this in the New Testament. Jesus, the Pharisees, insist that what has to happen, the, the legs of the criminals and of Jesus have to be broken so that they die on the cross, so that they can be buried that same day, because they don't want it to happen on a Sabbath where they die, then they're not going to be able to bury them, because that's against the law. And so, obviously, when they come to Jesus, he's already dead, they don't break his bones because no, uh, no bone in his body was broken to fulfill the prophecy. Uh, but uh, the point here is that this, they followed this law very seriously because um, death was serious. Here's the wages of sin. Um, the other thing to realize here is that public punishment like this is a great like civil curse, but it doesn't mean people can't be saved by repentance and faith in Jesus. So it has happened time and time again in the history of the world that someone has had to be punished uh, for being a criminal, and yet he goes to heaven, and he's executed by the state justly, and yet he goes to heaven. The great example of that is actually the thief on the cross uh, to whom Jesus says, and I mean, this thief says, we deserve what we got, Um, and Jesus doesn't, and then he says, uh, remember me when you come into your kingdom, and Jesus tells him, today you will be with me in paradise. So uh, you actually can have uh, uh, people convert to the Christian faith, repent. And that's actually what uh, capital punishment, any punishment is meant to do also, is to lead people to repentance. You have the same thing happens with Achan uh, in Joshua chapter 7, mm. when he, uh, at the um, siege or the the 
dis- destruction, the demolition of Jericho. It's all supposed to be devoted to destruction, but he actually takes the silver and the gold and his Babylonian robe, and he hides it in his tent. And uh, he repents, or it actually looks like he repents before they stone him to death. Hmm. Now, to get this uh, passage uh, back to the point of uh, Jesus fulfilling it, we go to Galatians 3.13, where St. Paul says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. Now, I, uh, in preparation uh, uh, for this talk, this Bible study today, I uh, read through an old Lutheran called John Brents. John Brents was a good friend of Martin Luther's, and he was a great commentator. He commentated on almost all the Bible. His best stuff is actually on the Gospel of John. Mm. Um, one of the things that we're going to do once uh, Luther Classical College has started, and we teach all these kids Latin, amongst all sorts of other things, is we're going to have them translate as a senior project, at least some of them. Those are going to become pastors. Brents' commentary on John. And anyway... Uh, This is what Brent says about this passage. He says, Christ became a curse for us so that we might become a blessing in him. For we by our sins deserved every curse so much that we are worthy of neither earth nor air. That is right. We have to be buried uh, before sunset. Mm -hmm. See what he's doing there. But Christ, by assuming this curse into himself, paid for our sins so that we may become worthy not only of earth, but of heaven, of the sky. When we are low and dejected, we should think on these things, consider these things, and so take up the hope of glory in Christ. That's that's beautiful. And I love it when we can be reading through Deuteronomy and have this, this ancient law, and then we see it cited by uh, St. Paul to give us the comfort of the gospel, that Christ became a curse for us. Uh, it, it really is marvelous. And those words from Brent's are, are so, so comforting, you know, especially— when we are low and dejected, we should think on these things, consider these things, and so take up the hope of glory in Christ. What, what comfort! Even even from Deuteronomy, Saint Paul picks it up, points us to Christ. How glorious! Moving into to chapter twenty two, Pastor Preuss, the ESV titles as various laws. There there are a number of seemingly variety of, of situations. The first deals with an ox or a sheep that's gone astray, and and what to do. Uh, what is this law? Why does God give it to His people? Yeah, so uh, there's a couple of reasons. One is God is telling uh, his people that he cares for animals, um, which is <laughs> which is a beautiful thing. He cares even for the lowly beasts. Uh, Jesus says this. Uh, he says, not one sparrow falls from heaven without the Father in heaven uh, knowing it. Um, and then you have Psalms, such as Psalm 36, where uh, the psalmist says, O Lord, you take care of both man and beast. Um, you also have the beautiful end of Jonah, <laughs> which, uh, um, if you haven't read it recently, this is this is how it ends. He says, "Should I not spare this great city where there's so many men?" And then he adds, "and cattle." That's right. Right. So the, the, the last words of Jonah are "and cattle." That is, God actually cares. Like, why? You should be rejoicing, Jonah, that I'm going to spare all these men and the, the cattle and the animals. God actually cares about them. Now, St. Paul seems to challenge this in 1 Corinthians 9 when he uh, quotes uh, from the law, you shall not muzzle the ox when he treads the grain, which is, you know, God saying, uh, let the ox actually eat some of the grain as he's uh, as he's treading it. 
um, and St. Paul says, is it cattle God is concerned for, right? Does he really care about these beasts, or is he more rather concerned about us? And Paul's point is obviously God's point, and it's true. God primarily is concerned about man. And the beasts were created for us. In Genesis uh, chapters 1 and 2 make this uh, very clear. We have dominion over the beasts. Uh, But the fact that beasts were created for man actually means that they have a a place in God's beautiful order and that God actually cares for them. He cares for them because he cares for us. And when we see his care for animals, it should also then make us realize how much more he cares for us. And that is the analogy that Jesus makes again Mm -hmm. and again, uh, especially with the sparrows of the field. If God cares for those, then he also cares for you. That's a great comfort. But the other reason for this law is that it is a fleshing out of love your neighbor as yourself, the second mm-hmm. table of the law. So how do you love your neighbor as yourself? And uh, this is one of the ways you actually care even about his animals. And you do so not just um, not not just by not killing them, right? Not by sins of uh, omission, not killing them, um, <clears throat> but uh, also that if you can help him in any way to keep his possessions and yeah. income, then you do it. So obeying the seventh commandment and the ninth and tenth commandments. Um, and now what's funny is that in Deuteronomy, uh, it only mentions your brother. So that's a, a, a fellow Israelite. It's a, it, it's, it's someone whom you should love because he's your brother. Um, but, in Exodus 23, you have the same law given, and it makes very clear that this refers to any neighbor, even your enemy. So I'll quote from Genesis 23, 3 and 4. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you, sh- you shall surely bring it back to him again. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden and you want to refrain from helping it, you shall surely help him with it. And this shows that when Jesus corrects the Pharisees in his great Sermon on the Mount, you can read that in Matthew 5 and Matthew 6, he corrects the Pharisees and he says, it was said of old, uh, you shall not, uh, so forth and so on, but I say to you, and he says uh, to them that you should even love your enemies, not just your brother. Uh, he is not giving some new law. He's rather correcting the Pharisees and showing them uh, more clearly than even Moses does, more clearly even than Deuteronomy does, um, and, and Exodus does, that you are to love all whom God puts in your path, because God has created all in his image, and he sent his son to redeem all uh, from the curse of the law. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, obviously, Jesus also uh, says these things, because it really pricks the heart. Because, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and the same thing with this, this law of Moses, like, he's not going to let you off with just not killing your neighbor's um, animals or or outright stealing them. Instead, he's going to remind you that you are obligated even to help your neighbor when you just see the donkey uh, roaming by you. And you you have to go out of your way and be inconvenienced for it. And if you don't want to do that, if you don't desire to do it, then the law is there to show you you're sinning right there and you need a savior. And that's what Jesus does, obviously, better than anyone else, is what the formula of Concord uh, says about him, um, that he can preach the law unlike Moses ever could. Uh, he shows you, he shows you, uh, you, you know, your sin, uh, the mirror of the law uh, in such a beautiful way because, because he is the Savior who has come to take away that sin.
In verse 5, Moses brings up the matter of a woman who would wear a man's garment or a man who would put on a woman's cloak. So wearing the wrong clothes for your given sex. Why this law for Old Testament Israel, and how does it still apply to us today? Yeah, I think we could do an entire Bible class on this. Probably so, yeah. Yeah, so... The, in, in Israel, uh, you wouldn't think this would be a problem. You know, you think this is just a modern problem with uh, guys pretending to be girls and girls pretending to be guys and having you know, surgeries and so forth to do it and having uh, transvestites come and visit your kindergarten class in your local library, right? I mean, that's what's happened in the last 10, 15 years here. Uh, that's our new normal. Uh, and we're like, uh, uh, you know, this is so strange. This is just, uh, and, and of course it is, it goes against everything God teaches. However, uh, there is nothing new under the sun, at least in this respect, but the Israelites had to deal with this too. So you remember they came out of Egypt, that's where God just saved them from. When when he saved them from Egypt, he wasn't just saving them from bondage under slavery, he was also saving them from serving other gods and living uh, in a moral life. Mm -hmm. And in Egypt they had all sorts of um, rites um, that would include cross-dressing, so the rights of Bacchus from Greece, um, which also spread uh, to Egypt, and the rights of Sibylle and Phrygia, which also spread throughout the world, um, were uh, orgiastic rites where guys would dress up as gals and gals would dress up as guys. Um, there's a there's a actually a um, poem by Catullus uh, where one of these fellows uh, actually uh, castrates himself. Um, during this rite. And so these ideas are, are there in the ancient world. Um, they just didn't receive the sort of acceptance in the Western world um, that they do now. Right? That's what's so new now, uh, is just the great acceptance of it. But what uh, God is warning against here is don't go down that road. Don't go down the road where a man uh, and a woman can't be distinguished um, uh, because there's an order, and if you destroy that order that, uh, uh, between, uh, and the difference between men and women, then everyone, everyone suffers, and, and there's misery. Mm-hmm. Now, in uh, the New Testament, you have the same teaching. In fact, St. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, says that nature teaches us that there's a difference between men and women, and he even uh, says that this has to do with the way we wear our hair. This is what he says. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her. So St. Paul um, teaches that nature itself shows um, that a, uh, th- there are certain dress appropriate to a man, certain dress appropriate to a woman. And uh, it's an abomination that is something that calls down God's curse and punishment when we violate the distinction between men and women. It's a beautiful distinction. It's God, God put it into creation from the very beginning. He didn't say it was very good. It's complete. It's done until woman was created, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's when he says it's very good. He said it's not good for man to be alone, but he made them complementary to one another. The man is supposed to be the head and the woman uh, the body in the relationship. The woman is supposed to submit to her husband in marriage, and the man is supposed to uh, love uh, in a, in a su- sacrificial way his wife. And when we mess with that, uh, we mess with the very fabric of creation. 
uh, and and society. And that's what we're seeing now with the breakdown uh, of the family, the promotion of uh, uh, all sorts of perversities among us. Mm. Now, um, dress also, and we all know this, it's a mirror of the soul. If you see someone dressed uh, uh, very you know, loosely, um, so that uh, she's she, she's showing things that she shouldn't be showing. It's a mirror to her soul. It's it's saying this is what I want, right? And she might not mean that, but that's the message she's giving to everybody else. And mm-hmm. certainly, young men will see it. I was just I took my son out to um, breakfast for his 14th birthday today, which is just a tradition with us with with the birthdays. And then we went to a, a, a shop to buy a book because he's obsessed with the uh, Scandinavian myth. Um, and so he bought this and we go up and I, the, the person who checked us out, um, was cl- dressed in such a way like a woman and yet was uh, showing enough of his chest to show that he had uh, hair in his chest. Mm-hmm. So we, my son and I were discussing this, like what message is this person, um, I think it's a man, trying to give here. And we came up with the conclusion that he's trying to give uh, the impression that there is no such thing as sex. Mm. (laughs) There is no such thing as gender. Mm. Um, Because you can dress however you want, both male and female, at the same time, and then just give off the impression that it just doesn't doesn't matter. I can choose to be a man and choose to be a woman. What does that even mean, then? What is a man and what is a woman? And that's the absurdity that we've landed in right now. And the point is that that absurdity starts somewhere. Uh, there's a slippery slope here. And it starts when people uh, begin in any way to address through hair, through actions, to deny the biblical, God-created differences and beautiful differences, complementary differences between men and women. And so this should teach us to embrace, if you're a woman, embrace womanhood. If you're a man, embrace manhood. And do so in a, in, in a, in a biblical way. Mm. I appreciate the way that you tied that to God's creation in the beginning. I think that's very important for us to confess as Christians, particularly when we come to a verse like this in Deuteronomy, and sometimes the attack gets lobbed against Christians. Well, look back at, say, Deuteronomy chapter 14, where you're not supposed to eat things like bacon, and you eat sure. bacon, so what about this verse? Why do you why do you pick and choose? And the way you tied it to God's creation in the beginning, as well as the way that it gets applied in the New Testament, both by our Lord and by St. Paul, I think is vital for us so that we can avoid those, what are baseless attacks, but ones that are often made. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And another thing to point out there is that God in the Old Testament never calls eating bacon a, an abomination. That's true. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, abomination is a strong word, and it's and it's actually a uh, a technical term, right, for something that is always going to um, uh, call down God's wrath. That doesn't change. So with that, we, we've got a few more laws to pick up. We've got just about eight minutes, just as a way of warning. Uh, talk about the the bird's nest and not taking, let me make sure I say this right, not taking the mother with the young. You leave the mother, you can take the young. What's going on with that situation? Yeah, this is just another absolutely beautiful example uh, that contradicts all the philosophies and all the highfalutin thought about religion, what religion is supposed to be, that God only cares about heavenly things, you know, like this platonic God who is obsessed with his own you know, goodness and truth and beauty and ideas and is not going to condescend to low creatures like us. 
but rather God is a condescending God that is he just he descends down and cares about even the tiny little things. And here you have this almighty word of God. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And what does God do with this word? He gives us a few verses on little birdies right. <laughs> and, and a nest. And so uh, that's the first lesson to learn from this, uh, that God cares about the little things uh, in life. Uh, and that means all the little things in your life, too. Uh, and again, he cares about even the littlest of animals, even the little birds. And so how much more does he care for you? Um, the second thing here is that having mercy on that mother bird um, by not killing her uh, and just instead taking uh, her eggs. I know that doesn't sound like mercy, but birds are pretty stupid. So, uh, But taking, taking her eggs and not, not killing her. Uh, also teaches uh, man to be merciful just mm -hmm. as a disposition, as a character trait that we should be merciful. Like the kid who tortures frogs when he's mm -hmm. a little, you know, when he's little or tortures chickens and laughs and so forth, he's probably going to end up not being too merciful yeah. when he grows up. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's the basic uh, lesson here too. If you can, if you can apply that mercy to animals, then certainly uh, you should apply it to those who are so much greater than animals, those with whom God actually wants to dwell, and that is uh, human beings. The other thing here um, is a principle that we should all learn, and that is you don't add insult to injury. Uh, God gets mad uh, when we do this. Um, the proverb uh, says that when God <laughs> when God punishes someone, do not delight in it, lest yeah. uh, he turn back his punishment from that person, mm -hmm. because he cannot stand it when we sort of like rub it in. Instead, our default reaction should be one of mercy and pity. Yeah. So an example of this is in Isaiah 47, where God sent Babylon to destroy Jerusalem. That's what he sent it to do. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was his servant to do this, and yet Nebuchadnezzar grows proud, and Babylon grows proud. Um, and what does God do? He says, hey, uh, it was one thing to punish them, but you were merciless, and you did not acknowledge me in this. And you even went after the old men and the old women. Uh, you, it was too much, and so I'm going to punish you. And, then, and that's actually what happens in Daniel chapter 4, is that Nebuchadnezzar becomes so arrogant uh, that God uh, basically turns him into an animal, as he, um, he he loses his senses and he, he starts uh, uh, behaving like an animal uh, in, the, in the field. Mm. Um, and then finally, there's a practical thing here, and that is that um, it's going to be good for you uh, if you're wise and you don't kill a source of food because the, mm. <laughs> the, uh, the mother uh, can have uh, more eggs after this, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and uh, it'll, it'll go well with you that way. Plenty of uh, societies actually killed way too many mother uh, birds. This is how the elephant bird uh, was uh, made extinct. Hmm. Um, and uh, it, it, it had enormous eggs, and if they just would have cultivated it and not killed it for meat, they would have had uh, eggs to feed their villages. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Good wisdom from the Word of God. No surprise there. Yeah. Well, we got about four minutes here, Pastor Preuss. Uh, give us briefly these last few laws about parapets on roofs, what you put in your vineyards, how you plow with animals, what kind of clothing you wear. Yeah, absolutely. So in the ancient uh, world, especially in these dry climates, they very often had flat roofs. Uh, they didn't have to worry about rain like you do like in the in the Midwest. Um, 
we don't really have to worry about it too much here either in Wyoming. <laughs> um, but a parapet then was a wall around that flat roof. And you remember like the, the story of uh, the history of David and Bathsheba. David is on the top of his roof. That's how he sees Bathsheba naked bathing. Because uh, that was just normal. You had a flat roof and you walked around on it. And um, the parapet then is the wall around that to make sure that people don't fall off. And it also can be very beautiful. And so this is just uh, the principle. Do what you can to protect human life. Not just don't commit the sin, but don't nurture an environment where the sin or an evil uh, can be committed. Um, again, just very practical uh, advice. And then verses 9, 10, 11, and 12, um, there's just a medley of laws um, right on top of each other, just one verse at a time. So the first two in 9 and 10, um, that you shouldn't sow your vineyard with different kinds of seed, and then 10, you should not plow with an ox and a donkey together. Those are just very practical ad- advice. Keep only vines in your vineyard. Your crop is going to suffer. And then also plowing with an ox and a donkey at the same time is really a bad idea because it's going to be very frustrating for you because they're different animals and uh, different temperaments, and they're going to result in unequal rows because one is stronger than the other and one is taller than the other. This is God giving very practical uh, advice to them so that they can um, they can uh, be prosperous, feed their families, and so forth. And then the second two in uh, 11 and 12, uh, these are laws that are going to set the Israelites apart from the Gentiles. They actually look different. So the wearing of um, tassels especially— the Pharisees, the Pharisees were very proud of this. Jesus talks about it in the Gospels. It was especially meant to keep them mindful of God's commandments. They had to have these tassels, right? And so when they see them, they realize, I'm doing this because God commanded me to do it, and I'm bound to obey God's commandments and not my own will. And so uh, that gives us then this beautiful principle that every sign that we make, uh, everything that uh, we do in a religious way, um, should be. Uh, should make us remember God's commandments and his promises to us. So a great example of this is like um, making the sign of the cross, which mm-hmm. Martin Luther says to do when you wake up in the morning and when you go to bed at night, when you say the Lord's Prayer, um, to make the sign of the cross to remind you of your baptism. And that goes all the way back to the second, third century uh, the Christians have been doing this, making the sign of the cross in order to remind themselves of God's promise. And yet at the same time, just like the Pharisees bragged about their tassels right, and didn't uh, remember the actual commands of God to have mercy on the poor and the promises of God that he would send a savior for their sin. Uh, so also we can make these signs into idols if we're not careful. So when we make, for instance, the sign of the cross, we, we should make sure to train also our mind that we're thinking about our baptism and not turning this into just some uh, religious rite that makes us look holy. The Reverend Dr. Christian Preuss is pastor at Mount Hope Lutheran Church and School in Casper, Wyoming. He is also the chairman for the Board of Regents for Luther Classical College, helping us today with Deuteronomy 21, verse 18 through chapter 22, verse 12. Pastor Preuss, thanks for being our guest today. Great to be here. Thanks. St. Paul quotes from Deuteronomy 
in reference to this text, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. That is the good news for you and for me. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.